Father in heaven, we come to you once again, just asking your blessing upon us as we look into your word. We thank you for your precious word and for how it instructs us, it teaches us. And I just pray that your spirit would allow us to have ears to hear and clearly understand what is from you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning again. We will miss the Chase family. And I'm trying to figure out how they're going to make it to Pickleball on Saturday. So today's passage is found in John chapter 7, verses 10 to 13. And let me say, if you were not here last week and did not hear Daniel Lopez's message, I invite you to uh, go to firstcolonybiblechapel.org and listen to that message. It is an excellent message and a good introduction to what we're talking about today. Now, there's four little verses here, and we're going to read those verses, and then I'm going to leave them completely. Verse 10 of John chapter 7. However, after his brothers had left for the festival... He went also, not publicly, but in secret. Now at the festival, the Jewish leaders were watching for Jesus and asking, Where is he? Among the crowds, there was widespread whispering about him. Some said, He is a good man. Others replied, No, he deceives the people. But no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the leaders. And what I want to take away from this is they were asking the wrong question. They were asking, where is Jesus? What they should have been asking is the most important question in the world, and that is, who is Jesus? And that is the title of our message today. Who is Jesus? There are a few scriptures that tell us who Jesus is, and in this book of John, chapter 20, verse 30 and 31... It says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And that is the purpose for our banner. It's about believing. Believing what? Believing in Jesus. Believing that he is the Messiah, the Son of God. That's who he is. Knowing who Jesus is and believing in him is a matter of life and death. And that's the point we want to drive home this morning. Jesus is God in the flesh. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 15, Jesus asked this question to his disciples. Now, he actually asked a couple of questions. Uh, First, he asked, who do people say that I am? In verse 15, Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered him. He said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I will tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Peter correctly said, you are the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. Now I want to play, uh, just rerun that just a little bit, and I want to 
look at these words. In verse 18, he says, I tell you that you are Peter, Petros, which means little stone, little pebble, piece of gravel. And on this rock, Petra, I will build my church. And that Petra is a solid rock mountain. A formation, a rock formation. I believe he was making the distinction that the foundation of our belief is that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of God. That is the huge rock mountain. And by the way, everywhere in Scripture where it uses the word Petra, it's always a reference to God. It's always a reference to Jehovah God or Jesus. When they use the word Petros, it talks about people. Let's go to John chapter 1. Familiar verses appropriate for this message. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through Him, Jesus, all might believe. There's that word, believe again. In verse 9, it says, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own. And the context here is, he came unto his own things. He came unto his own world. But his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. In verse 14, it says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. A lot of people today that do not receive that, do not accept that. They reject that out of hand. Now, what we've seen so far is what other people have said. Who is Jesus? Who is he? Let's see what Jesus says about himself in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. And for context, let me just say, John chapter 13... They're in the upper room, and Jesus has given them some bad news. And he says, I'm going away. I'm, you're going to, I'm, somebody's going to betray me. It's not going to be good. And Peter says, nope, never, not going to let that happen. And then he gives Peter the bad news. Sorry, you're going to deny me three times. So in chapter 14, now he's comforting his disciples. He's giving them some good news. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. In verse 5, Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And then Jesus answers with the famous lines, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. That answers the question, who is Jesus? 
He says, no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says, I am the way to the Father. He does not say, I know the way. He says, I am the way. And we have to be clear and not sidestep this. I will tell you throughout my life, I've talked to a lot of people who are not willing to accept that. And I remember in school at U of H, I had a class, I don't remember the class, but I remember there was a young lady in that class, her name was Mitzi, I remember that part. And Mitzi and I had a few conversations, small talk, nothing really deep, but just uh, just casual, hey, how's it going? And one day, Mitzi and I were talking, and she asked me this very interesting question right out of the blue. She said, what do you think about God? I don't know if you've ever had that happen to you. Anybody just ask you, what do you think about God? Like I said, it caught me off guard. And the first thing that came out of my mouth was, well, Mitzi, I believe Jesus Christ is God. And he is the way that we're going to be saved. What do you think? And she said, well, I'm Jewish. (laughs) I didn't know that. She said, I'm Jewish, and I believe Jesus was a good man, but not God. And I said, well, Mitzi, how do you get to heaven? And she said, well, your good works have to outweigh your bad works. You have to do more good things than bad things, she said. Jesus didn't say, Mitzi, you're the way. You're the truth. You got the path to the eternal life. But a lot of people buy into that philosophy. Who is Jesus? In Matthew chapter 7, at the end of the famous Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about two gates. Here's what he says about these two gates. Verse 13 of Matthew 7, Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. So we have two gates, a narrow gate and a wide gate. The wide gate leads to destruction. The narrow gate, with few people on it, leads to eternal life. And the way he phrases this in verse 13, he says, Enter through the narrow gate. He's he's giving a command. Don't go through the wide gate. Enter the narrow gate. Choose that gate. So one gate is wide open, leads to destruction. A lot of people take that path. Few people take the narrow path. Now, I, I need to make sure that everybody understands this. We're all born in sin. We all start at the same place. But there's a choice. And Jesus is saying, enter the narrow gate. The wide gate leads to judgment. This road leads to a place the Bible calls hell. It is a place of torment and terror. And we're not talking about an inconvenience of a little pain, like a mosquito bite that you rub some Benadryl on or a headache and you get uh, Advil or aspirin that temporarily goes away. We're not talking about total annihilation, so you're destroyed and you don't have any more consciousness. The Bible explains that this is a place of constant torment forever, and it is, it is an awful place. 
God's Word also says that on top of all that suffering, these people will be shut out from the presence and glory of God. Listen to these verses in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, in verse 8 and 9. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. Did you know the, the world's widest highway is right here in Houston? Did you know that? It's a Katy Freeway. 26 lanes. Now, you'll never go more than 7 miles per hour. 26 lanes. Imagine 26 lanes of traffic and all these people headed to destruction. The world's widest road. That's why we need to be clear when we talk about who Jesus is and make sure there's no misunderstanding He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. We need to communicate that message to a lost world. Why do people choose the wide path? I think the wide path makes promises that it can't deliver on. People feel good about their decision but it's not a wise choice. I think one reason is that people do not want to be confronted about their sin. They don't want to hear about judgment. They don't want to hear about their need for a Savior. And so they look for something with more tolerance. I had a friend once, and we had the opportunity to discuss spiritual things a few times. And... I remember the last conversation we had about this. He says, the only thing I can't tolerate is intolerance. Interesting, huh? Unfortunately, sadly, he passed away a few years ago. And to my knowledge, he had not accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. I called his house. He lived in Austin. I called his house and his wife answered the phone. And I said, he, was, he had been retired. I said, is Jimmy there? He said, John, Jimmy passed away yesterday. Hadn't had a chance to get the word out. Jesus presents himself as the way, the truth, and the life. And these are exclusive statements. These are absolutes. And we cannot be cowards when it comes to these absolutes, even though they offend many. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, in verse 18, it says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. If you had a rotten tooth and you went to the dentist and he doesn't tell you the truth, you'd be pretty mad. You wake up a couple of days later with a really bad abscess and you know, your head's this big and all infected. You'd be pretty mad. You went to the mechanic. Mechanic says, your, far, your car is fine, even though he knows there's something really seriously wrong with it. You'd be really mad at that lying mechanic if you get stranded on the road somewhere, right? In those situations, we want the truth. In those situations, we want to know, what is going on? Talk to me. But when it comes to dealing with sin and the truth that Jesus is the only way back to God, some people don't want to hear about it. But God loves us. He cares about us. And He doesn't sugarcoat our situation. I don't really know who needs to hear this this morning. 
Some people think God is love and He's not going to do anything bad to me because he, He's all love. Yes, God is love. God is kind. He is wonderful. But He's not going to lie to you. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, this is the time to face that. Others go through the wide gate because of the appeal of life's pleasures. One time I was talking to a guy and he said, I know I'm going to hell, but man, I am living it up right now, let me tell you. Well, if you know you're going to hell, I mean, doesn't that put a little damper on your enthusiasm? He said, I don't care, I'll deal with hell later. I am enjoying life right now. That's something. Years ago, there was a popular song, and I apologize for bringing this song up, because it may be, if you know it, it may be stuck in your head all week. But years ago, there was a popular song called My Life, and I don't even remember the context. It was probably about a relationship that wasn't going right or something. But here's the way the course goes, and I thought of this as I was doing this study. It says, I don't need you to worry for me because I'm all right. I don't want you to tell me it's time to come home. I don't care what you say anymore. This is my life. Go ahead with your own life. Leave me alone. I think that is what people are saying who don't want to go through the narrow gate. People are saying to God, I don't care. But I am 100% convinced that the man who told me that he was going to live it up and end up in hell will regret that decision. 100% certain. Some people go through the wide gate in pursuit of material things. The Bible teaches us the value of work, of industry, but the Bible also warns us about not to put our trust in things. Not to accumulate things so that we can be independent of God. The Bible warns us about loving money instead of loving God. He said, and Jesus said, it's hard to have a lot of stuff and not trust in it. That's why it's hard. hard. Hard for someone who's really wealthy to not be putting their confidence there. Peer pressure is another reason people choose the wide gate. Everybody wants to be liked, right? We like to be accepted. But to choose people over God is a bad decision. I had a friend in high school and I was talking one time to her about what it means to be a Christian, uh, the Christian life, uh, how to be saved. And at the end of the conversation, she said, please, John, do not tell any of our friends we had this conversation. We had, there was a whole group of us, we had mutual friends Please do not tell any of my friends that we had this conversation. Now that's high school immaturity. Hey, you know what? Peer pressure happens today to all of us, and it happens in Jesus' day. Look at uh, John twelve forty three. It says, uh, actually verse 42 says, At the same time, many, even among the leaders, believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. In verse 43 is really indicting. It says, For they loved human praise more than praise from God. 
We cannot be cowards. We need to be open about our faith. There's other reasons why somebody would choose the wrong gate, the wider gate. For example, some people just procrastinate. I've talked to so many kids at at, uh, high school camp who would say, I just want to have fun now. I'll deal with this later. Let me just have fun. The narrow gate leads to heaven. Listen to what Psalm 16, 11 says about heaven. You will make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. People have to choose which gate, and that is a permanent choice. Those who put their faith in Jesus Christ and believe in him, this life on earth is as close to hell as they will ever get. Have you ever thought about that? If you believe in Jesus Christ, you receive him as your savior, this life is as close to hell as you will ever get. For people who reject Jesus Christ and choose not to put their faith in him, this life is as close to heaven as they will ever get. Back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction. But the good news for those who believe we will be within the presence of the Lord with the glory of His might. Great words. Something to look forward to. So the Word of God teaches us that Jesus Christ is the one who came into the world. He was God in the flesh. He is our Savior. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. Think about that. Our God died for us. In Mark ten forty five, it says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Some religions teach to get to heaven, you give your life to your God. They want you to sacrifice your life to their, their God in order to achieve heaven. The Bible teaches that our God died for us. There's a Christmas song called How Many Kings. And you might know the words. And uh, again, this probably stick this one in your, this song in your mind for this week. Follow the star to a place unexpected. Would you believe, after all we've projected, a child in a manger? Lowly and small, the weakest of all, unlikeliest hero wrapped in his mother's shawl. Just a child. Is this who we've waited for? Because how many kings stepped down from their thrones? How many lords have abandoned their homes? How many greats have become the least for me? And how many gods have poured out their hearts to romance a world that has torn all apart? And how many fathers would give up their sons for me? Bringing our gifts for the newborn Savior, all that we have, whether costly or meek, because we believe, gold for his honor and frankincense for his pleasure, and myrrh for the cross he'll suffer. Do you believe? Is this who we've waited for? How many kings stepped down from their thrones? How many lords have abandoned their homes? How many greats have become the least for me? And how many gods have poured out their hearts to romance a world that is torn all apart? How many fathers gave up their sons for me? That's a touching song, isn't it? 
My God came into this world because he loved me. He gave himself up for me. I'm going to switch gears just a minute to tell you about something. For the last almost 30 years, I've worked in the construction safety business. There's three kinds of construction. There's buildings that go up like this. There's roads and highways that are horizontal and go out that way. And then sometimes we have to do excavation work and do construction work underground. Of those three kinds of construction, underground construction is the most dangerous. The frequency and the severity of the injuries per worker hour is far greater in underground construction than any other kind of construction. And probably the hazard that most people are aware of and are concerned about is what we call a cave-in. And that's where when you excavate in the soil, you have a vertical wall of soil. That soil will not stand unsupported by itself and it will fall. It is predict- it's a predictable hazard. It will fall. And unfortunately, if, no, if there's no protective system in place, if that falling soil hits somebody, uh, that's no bueno. It's, it's really bad. I want to make a point here. And I think about this every class that I teach. There's only one soil type that will not cave in. There's only one soil type that won't fall. Petra. Solid rock. Regulations require that any soil you excavate, if somebody's going to be in there and working, you have to have a protective system to protect people from falling soil, unless it is Petra. Petra won't fall. So there's, there's systems that can be in, in, put in the ground to protect workers. Unfortunately, a lot of times people don't use those protective systems. Either they don't believe the hazard is real or they don't want to spend the money or take the time. There's lots of reasons why people don't use these protective systems. Sometimes they get away with it. Unfortunately, if someone isn't using a protective system and the soil falls in on them and traps them, it's not a good thing, especially if it buries the person completely. There's a medical problem that happens, and the medical professionals in the room can verify this and probably... (laughs) And pardon me, guys, for uh, oversimplifying this very complex thing. But what happens is, when soil falls in and hits somebody and covers them up, even if they're alive, if the soil pressure cuts off circulation, then that part of the body that's isolated is going to die. What happens is we're designed for full circulation. And if circulation is cut off to part of our body, then that tissue begins to die. It's a real chemical uh, mess. Buildup of lactic acid, potassium, magnesium. It's complicated. A lot of stuff goes haywire. And here's the problem. When someone is eventually rescued from that situation, and, they, and they finally, the rescuers finally dig them out, if that part of the body has, been, has had sh- uh, reduced circulation long enough, that person's going to die because when circulation resumes, those poisons enter the bloodstream. And usually it's organ failure or, or most times it's a heart attack. That happened in Richmond. Uh, Richmond, Texas, just a few years ago, there was a 14-foot deep excavation. There were three guys in there. There was no protective system in place, and the, the side collapsed and buried all three of them. 
Houston Fire Department was called to do the rescue or body recovery. And they began by just using big equipment to dig the dirt up to try to find the guys. And they found two guys who were deceased. And the third guy it was interesting because as they dug closer and they were able to able to hear someone yelling for help through, through the soil. And they stopped using the big machine and they began to dig a shaft around where he was and they dug down, carefully shoring up the soil to you know, make sure don't make it worse, right? And protect the rescue team. And, and it took 10 hours. And they finally dug down and they finally were able to uncover his upper part of his body. They started IVs. They gave him oxygen. But the rescue chief, Houston Fire Department rescue chief, his name is Joe Clark, he said to us privately, he said, we are talking to a dead man. We are talking to a dead man. And he was correct. When they were able to put him, take him out of that situation, put him on a basket stretcher, put him in the lifelight helicopter, and take him to the trauma center, he was dead on arrival. We are talking to a dead man. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, it reads, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And verse 6 says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Fortunately, there is hope. Fortunately, there is hope. Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the rescuer. He's the savior. Remember the verses we read from John chapter 1. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who did receive him, to all who who believed, he gave the right to become children of God. Which path will you take? After this life is over, where does your path lead? Now, one more thing. I want to make sure I don't leave this out. A life lived on the path with Jesus is far more satisfying and rewarding than the wide path where people live only for themselves. As Jesus told the woman at the well, you will never thirst again when you drink the water that I give you. And when life's difficulties come your way, and they will, when things start to unravel, when difficulties come, I will tell you, there's people in this audience that will testify to this. We have a friend in Jesus. We have a friend in Jesus. So the question is, will you receive Jesus Christ as the way, the truth, and the life? The only way, the only truth. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So in closing, I want to read just a few verses from Colossians chapter 1 that kind of pulls this together. In verse uh, 15, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. If these scriptures have spoken to your heart today, we would love to talk to you about how you can know that you, your sins are forgiven and that you have a home forever with our Lord in heaven. We're going to close in prayer, and what I'd like to do is just read from Colossians chapter 1 as our closing prayer. Our Father in heaven, we ask you to fill us with the knowledge of your will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. We ask this so that we may live a life worthy of our Lord Jesus Christ and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of our God, being strengthened with all power according to your glorious might so that we may have great endurance and patience. And we thank you, Father, who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of your holy people in the kingdom of life. For you have rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of your Son, Jesus Christ, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Amen.